Jesus did come to save, and that was reflected in the rest of Psalm 118. As the people finally get now to the temple, they've been singing this song as they make their way to the festival. And now we hear them say, Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through the right, which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, Hosanna, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. With bows in hand, join the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. I'd invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 19 in your Bibles. Luke chapter 19. I want to look at the events of what we call Palm Sunday and the event of the triumphal entry. According to the Gospels, Jesus has made his way now from the north, from Caesarea Philippi, and from the event of the Transfiguration. And now he's, he's making his way back down toward Jerusalem. He set his face toward Jerusalem, Luke tells us. Along the way, he apparently stops back in Galilee and he joins a pilgrim march to Jerusalem. It was traditional for the pilgrims to come three times a year to celebrate three of the feasts, Passover being one of those, that they, everyone was expected to come to Jerusalem. And so they would all join together, and, and from Galilee, they would go down to the Jordan Valley and follow the Jordan Valley and the Jordan River down to Jericho, and then they would make their way back up the Jericho Road to Jerusalem. Along the way, lots of things have happened. We'll notice some of those a little later. And now Jesus has just been telling a parable, and then we pick up our reading at Luke 19, verse 28. Luke 19, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, the parable he had told, he went on ahead <clears throat> going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, <clears throat> Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter there, you'll find a colt tied, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. We'll conclude our reading there and reflect a little bit on what caused this great change from a triumphal entry to our Lord weeping. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as you inspired the gospel writers to record this event and and to tell the story of Jesus through the way each of them recorded it, we pray now that you would inspire us to accept the words of this event and the challenge that it brings to us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We have come to call the events described in Luke 19 and the other parallel passages in the other Gospels, Palm Sunday, and the event of the day, the triumphal entry. But I think we've got the names wrong, both of them. Why Palm Sunday when palms were an inappropriate image for the day? And what is triumphant about an entry into Jerusalem that leaves Jesus weeping? So what is the appropriate image? What should the day be called? Well, let's look at four images this morning that were part of that day as we decide. The first image is the donkey. Jesus is coming toward Jerusalem from the east. You see in the picture in, the, in here the, the eastern gate. And then a fact that was not lost on the Jewish readers because the Messiah was supposed to enter Jerusalem from the east according to Ezekiel 43. They would know that was part of his arrival. And as he made his way from Galilee, will the pilgrims going up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover... They went down to Jericho where he gave sight to a blind man and he also encountered uh, Zacchaeus. And then on to Bethany where he raises Lazarus from the dead. And so with all these things going on, a curious and excited crowd is following Jesus on their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. With crowd in tow, Jesus heads the short distance to Bethphage, which he enters riding on a donkey. And the crowd goes nuts and begins to treat him like the Messiah. Why? Because Jesus just said he was Messiah. See, Bethphage was at the city limits of Jerusalem, especially at festival time. There was a law that you could only travel so far on a Sabbath day, and every festival, every feast was considered a Sabbath day. But so many people, the historian Josephus tells us maybe a million or more people would come for 
these festivals and there was no room to house them all in the little city of Jerusalem. It was a city, but it was, it's quite small. And so they had to be housed in the, the valleys and the, the hills around them. And, and so lest the people don't walk more than they're supposed to on the Sabbath day, they just simply extended the borders, the city limits of Jerusalem. And so now Bethphage was at the entrance to the city limits of Jerusalem. So Jesus is entering Jerusalem at this point, consciously and intentionally fulfilling prophecy. Think about it. To ride a donkey the last mile of a hundred-mile journey, when the previous 99 you've been walking along with a crowd, could only be a deliberate gesture. As Jesus rides in on a donkey, it may remind the readers of several things. Maybe the first it would remind them of is the first, the original son of David, King Solomon, entering Jerusalem on a donkey as he became king, 1 Kings chapter 1. But I think especially it would have reminded them of two prophecies that were known to be about Messiah by Jesus' day. The first is actually uh, a prophecy that fo fo finds, we find within the uh, last will and testament of Jacob, the patriarch. He's got his 12 sons gathered around him, and he's, he's uh, prophesying as well as blessing each of those sons. And when he comes to Judah, he says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations will be his. How will we know he comes? He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. And then, of course, what we read at the beginning of the service from Zechariah 9, verse 9, also prophesying this day. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So these prophecies tell us that Messiah, Zion's king, will enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. So at Jerusalem's entry point, Jesus gets on a donkey, clearly claiming to be Messiah. And the crowd erupts at the top of the Mount of Olives, within hearing distance, mind you, of Jerusalem proper, where an extra-large contingent of Roman soldiers are stationed, complete with riot gear, because festival crowds, and especially the zealots within them, were known to get out of hand. Suddenly one voice, then another, begins to shout parts of Psalm 118, Hosanna! Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And out come the branches. Palm branches, according to John. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd quickly rush to Jesus, trying to get him to quiet his disciples. What's going on? Well, you can see it through, first of all, their actions. They placed cloaks on the donkey, and Jesus sat on it. They placed cloaks on the road before him. That indicates a royal procession. Throwing garments in the path of a king to walk on was symbolic of submission to him. 
But we're also told in three of the accounts that they also laid branches as well as their cloaks. Despite giving the name Palm Sunday to this event, only the Gospel of John calls them palm branches. In fact, Luke doesn't even mention branches at all, likely because as a Gentile he missed the significance of them or he didn't think his Gentile readers were going to grasp the significance. Now, if John is right about the palm branches, and we have no reason to believe he's not, then there are likely zealots in the crowd who brought these palm branches from Jericho. For you see, palm branches, palm trees, are not native to Jerusalem. So I give a lie to that in this picture that I took. Just outside the walls of the old city of Jerusalem, there's a palm tree. What's up with that? Well, it's kind of like, I think Alex Haley, the author Roots, once said about his own, his own writing, it's kind of like seeing a turtle on the top of a fence post. You know you had help getting there. Well, the same is true with the palm tree in Jerusalem. You know it had help getting there. Someone transplanted it because palm trees don't grow on mountains. They grow down in valleys. They grow down by oases. And so palm branches were probably brought, actually, from Jericho on their way. They came through Jericho. Jericho is called the city of palms. It's known for its palms. You see, palm branches, once reserved for the Feast of Tabernacles, and we heard about them already when we read Psalm 118. It says, with boughs in hand, come to the altar. Palm branches were one of the boughs that they, they had in hand. Once reserved for the Feast of Tabernacles, Palms had become, by the first century, a Jewish political symbol saying, we want freedom. We want freedom. And by the way, they're also saying that with their words. Because they're using part of Psalm 118, a Feast of Tabernacles psalm. Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now again, Luke, as a Gentile, writing to Gentiles, does not use the Hebrew word Hosanna. doesn't even use the phrase save us, which is the translation of Hosanna. It wouldn't have made a great impression on his Gentile audience. But Hosanna, as the Jewish gospel writers knew, had become a political chant. A chant that meant, you know, originally it meant save us by sending us rain for the new growing season, save us by giving us life, eventually it became save us spiritually. But by the first century, when Rome was over them, it became save us from Rome. And wouldn't you know, the use of a palm branch and shouting Hosanna together was outlawed. It was a crucifiable offense, treasonous in the eyes of Rome. That's why the Pharisees are concerned about the Roman soldiers just across the valley. But the key point for us is that the crowd is receiving Jesus as a political messiah as a king who would overthrow Rome. And that's what brought the third symbol of the day, the tears. 
If this was a triumphal march, Jesus sure had a funny way of expressing it. He wept. And in the Greek, it means he sobbed loudly and uncontrollably. He's weeping for the city of Jerusalem, which, as he prophesied here, will be devastated by the Romans. Indeed, he says, not one stone will be left on another as, as they destroy the temple, and the wreckage of which can still be seen today and in this picture that I took just outside of the western wall of Jerusalem. He's weeping for the city of Jerusalem, but he's also weeping for the people of Israel. Mostly for this crowd of chanters. If you had only recognized what would truly give you peace, but because you're looking for a military solution, you're going to get more than you expect, and it's going to be brutal. Why was Jesus weeping? Because they missed him. As he says himself, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. How do they miss him? We're going to put that on pause for just a moment because there's an interesting aside that I want to look at with a parallel scene of Jesus weeping. Did you know that there are two times in the Bible, two recorded incidents of Jesus weeping? And they happened within a mile of each other and within a few days. At the first, the funeral of Lazarus, he sobbed quiet tears of compassion because he shared their hurts. Now he sobs loudly and uncontrollably because the people missed him. Let me ask you, in what way does Jesus weep for you today? Tears of compassion? Or tears of regret because you're missing him? Well, that brings us to the last image, and the last image is not seen here. In this story, it's not seen in any of the parallel passages in any of the gospel writers, and yet it would have been a perfectly appropriate image for Jewish readers. In fact, it was the key image that they would have had in mind that day. How did they miss Jesus and the reality of who he was and what he was doing? It was Nisan 10 on the Jewish calendar, four days before the Passover on Nisan 14, and it was the day you selected the lamb for your family for the Passover. There were, and, and so it was actually called by the Jews in so many words, Lamb Selection Day. Not Palm Sunday, Lamb Selection Day. Now, there are particular requirements for a Passover lamb. It had to be perfect, unblemished, and the Mishnah tells us by that day it had to come from the flocks of Bethlehem. So most people had to buy them at, a temple, at the temple at a high price because they didn't have lambs that qualified. Your family then kept the lamb from Nisan 10 to Nisan 14. For four days, the family kept the lamb with you, getting to know it. Name it. Befriend it. Identify with it. To the point where each member of the family could say, that's my lamb. 
Incidentally, here's a picture of some Passover lambs in Samaria, where they still uh, do the same custom of celebrating the Passover today. And those are some lambs marked out uh, to be slaughtered on the Passover. So you, the family would get to know that lamb. Almost, it almost became a pet for them, if you will, for four days. You can imagine what that would have been like with children. And they could say, that's my lamb. And then on Passover, it was slaughtered to make atonement for your sins. This particular year, Lamb Selection Day fell on a Sunday, Palm Sunday. As Jesus enters Jerusalem on the day that people were looking for the perfect lamb for the sacrifice of their sins, Jesus is the perfect, unblemished lamb from the flocks of Bethlehem, no less. Jesus is the one about whom John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the, the one who would be the only perfect and acceptable sacrifice for the sins of the world and would actually die at the moment of the afternoon sacrifice was being slaughtered in the temple on the Friday we call Good Friday. So as Jesus enters Jerusalem, while people are scrambling about to find their sacrificial lamb, he's saying, choose me! Pick me as the lamb for the atonement of your sins. You see, the palm is the wrong image for the day. It should be the lamb. The palm was a, a political protest symbol. It represents our attempt to fight our own battles, to make our own way in life, to atone for ourselves, to make our own case before God. The lamb, on the other hand, forces us to humble ourselves, say we cannot do it on our own, and accept charity, which is the only way to God. So one critical question this day presents us with is, have you accepted Jesus for who he claimed to be, or are you making him into someone else, someone who better fits your needs? And then, of course, the most crucial question is, it's Lamb Selection Day. Have you picked the right lamb? Let's pray. Jesus, Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, we thank you for coming among us to be our Redeemer. We pray that we might not miss you whether in the busyness of life or whether in the crises of life, but might find in you the one who is our Lamb, who pays for our sins, who makes us right with the Father, and who promises that we will live with you in the Father eternally. We thank you for that promise. Help us to make the right choice in our lives. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.